You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Reese Boyle is a comedian and producer at Standout Comedy, a comedy club built from scratch. Through years of toil and honing his craft, Reese has embraced the journey and gets his gratification through extrinsic channels, making others happy through his work. With many in the field seeking instant reward and fame, Reese has maintained a humble perspective and has kept focus on the meaningful connections and enduring benefit of developing as a person and a comedian always looking for ways to learn and improve. Reese joins us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Reese, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Mate, thank you so much for having me. Reese, at the age of 23, you had your first paid gig as a comic, in front of 250 people in Wollongong on the south coast. What was that experience like for you? Man, daunting. It was, yeah, it was a lot. I think the build-up, I don't think I've been so nervous. Like, yeah, the whole, so pretty much, also I didn't know anyone. I knew my friend who uh, kindly drove me. He was my designated driver because I lost my license, crushing it. Uh, and he, yeah, he took me to Wollongong, um, it was a friend of a friend who ran this music night, and so imagine, like, the bands are playing, bands are amazing, everyone loves it, and then everyone goes out while the bands are getting ready into this courtyard, so there's about 250 university students, all there, having beers, having, just smoking, and then there's a table, just gets dragged into the middle, an amp, <laughs> as a stand and a microphone, and then he's like, all right, man, go up. And I'm like, dude, you have to announce me first. They can't, they can't just go up. And also, oh, man, even before that was so funny. I'm just there with my good friend Hamish. And he was just like, dude, how you doing? I'm like, man, I, there was a part of me like, I just wanted to run. I just wanted to go. Imagine if I left, though. <laughs> just like, because there was, there was no other comedian. It was just me as well. Like, it wasn't even a lineup. No one was ready for it. And my mate Hamish was like, oh, dude, it was like talking me through it. And then I was like, no, I have to start strong because I had like one bit I was going to do, but I was like, no, I have to start so strong straight away to get their attention. And then I was with my, another friend, Amy, and I was like, oh, I'm so nervous. And you know, with a friend, they'll be like, dude, I'm there for you, man. You're going to be like, dude, all those really positive things. My friend goes, oh, dude, I would never do this. I would be so nervous. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, no, no, I'd be so scared. I'm like, all right, sweet. Thank you for that. Um, and yeah, my friend announced me. I went up. And yeah, I'm just like, I met, so pretty much I do a university bit that, um, I was pretty much my first long bit, uh, about my friends drugging me with MDMA and then I go to university and do a tutorial and pretty much that whole experience. And yeah, so out of like the, all the crowd of people I just started and it was really cute. The first few tables were all mingling, but then they saw me on stage and then they all turned, gave me their attention and I think that was a really nice point of comedy of when I started where I was like, oh, like, don't care about 
everyone, just care about the people who are engaging, especially in an environment like that, because people are talking in the background, don't worry about them, look at the people in front of you, and yeah, and it was really nice, and then as I started, people were like turning around, and just kind of engaging, and I did, yeah, about like half an hour, and it was, yeah, so much fun, it was... Yeah, like, just engaging experience and good riffing as well, just talking, like, shit to the crowd. I remember I lost my place, and there was this one dude who was just like, this bit! And I was like, yes! And I just called him Sam from Lord of the Rings. I was like, dude, we're going on an adventure together! And he was just like... And yeah, it was ecstatic. And yeah, and, like, for me, like, that was my first paid gig, and it was so nice to, yeah, be paid for my craft, which was... Yeah, I never thought, especially my first year of comedy, was to, yeah, get there. Did the nerves come, do you think, from the expectation around being paid? Was it nerves that the jokes wouldn't land? Was it nerves about the crowd? Like, is it one thing in particular, or is it all the emotions going to hit you at once? I don't think it was... Definitely wasn't the pay factor. I don't think it was... I think there was, obviously, there's value in that, and you want whoever's giving you money to... Yeah, you want to... I definitely... I think in later gigs, if you are getting paid, there is an expectation. But I think, particularly in that moment, uh, I think, yeah, it was definitely just because it was so daunting. Like, I knew that if I, jokes didn't go well, I would have, there were a few bit, few years younger than me, university students. I've performed in front of university students before, and if they're in it, they have the best time, but if they hate you, you know about it, and you just feel it. And, so, yeah, I think it was just that moment of, yeah, oh, man, I'm going to eat so much shit in front of so many people, and I'm just going to have to, I'm there for like half an hour. Imagine, dude, talking for half an hour in the first minute, everyone hates you. You can't do the next half an hour, dude. I've had, I've seen comedians do, have a 15 minute set on paper, do three minutes and just go, nah, and just walk off. Like, yeah, it's so, it's tough. I think, yeah. And also, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think the, the expectation of, yeah, I think seeing the, yeah, the engagement, hopefully are about it. But that's when it was a nice moment on stage when I realized, I was like, Let's just do it for the people who are engaged, who are here. If the others want to be part of it, amazing. But if they don't, then that's their loss. Do you have that kind of self-awareness on stage? Like you mentioned at that point, you're, kind of, you're aware that you're honing in on the people in front of you. Mm. Do you often kind of... Are you able to have that experience where you're self-aware and you know what's going on? Or does it kind of go blind or blur? Um, oh, I, th- I would definitely say that's experience, without a doubt. I, yeah. I, when I first started comedy... It just, I wouldn't even look at the audience. You could just hear, that's a bit what I do enjoy about comedy though, is it's such a great medium of, you know straight away if they're enjoying themselves. And sometimes like different environments, different stages, a lot of, I've especially started with like open mics. So you get some people being there for like two hours and I'm like the seventh, like the 30th comedian they've seen. Some people just like so draining. And so... Yeah, I don't know, and you got to eat, what I enjoy about comedy more and more is that each crowd can be its own experience, and so sometimes you just see that, and, and like, some people I've seen at open mics who were there for ages, so drained and so sad, and if you just make them smile, you're like, man, I'm killing it, like, that's a crush, yeah, uh, but, you know. You said to me before our chat, Reese, that for you it's wonderful making people laugh, you can relate and connect to stories through your performances, has that always been the way for you, even since you were a kid, that you've been able to, to make people laugh and connect through conversation? Oh, without doubt. I think that's probably the only reason I've been in comedy. Uh, yeah, I remember oh, f- from early high school. Early high school, I was... 
every I was never the the really funny one. A, a lot of comedians who I've met, I've talked to, and they're like, I don't. Yeah, each has their own little journey. I was never the class clown. I was never that person to be like loud or obnoxious or not obnoxious, but it's like all the attention. I was always that person observing, just going, "Oh man, I can't wait to tell my friends about this story." Because like, yeah, I, I could get some crazy people in high school. Or just doing weird shit, and I'm like, no, I can't wait to tell my intimate friends at one on one, and just tell them and have their engagement, and yeah, and hopefully make them laugh. And for me, that is what values. Um, yeah, I think what also yeah, what really got me into comedy uh, was yeah, obviously telling stories, but through bartending, I was probably the biggest part because just observing people on the dance floor. Those man, drunk people were, were just. Content for days. You're just watching people and you're like, man, how could you actually do this? <laughs> like, this, like, the interactions that guys would have with women on dance floors, like, just drugs. Like, they literally, their jaws swing side to side. They're on, uh, like, looking like, just like goats. It was phenomenal. And I think there's moments like that where I could just take and then talk to my friends and just spin all these yarns. I'd, yeah, definitely from an early age, I would love telling stories. I think that was definitely my biggest engagement, for sure. And with that, how do you go day-to-day life? Do you look at every social setting as a, as a potential uh, act in, in, in one of your comedy pieces or are you able to kind of separate the comedy from your day-to-day life? Um, no, I, yeah, again, each comedian to their own. But personally for me, it's the... Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't definitely go day-to-day. I, I would, yeah, wouldn't go about that. But I think more if there's like, a situation that is a bit bigger than me in a story. I think, uh, yes, like, someone getting angry over the top, or... But then also the situations, where, what, I, what I absolutely love about comedy um, and stand-up is that you might see a moment and then you change perspectives of it. The shifting of perspectives, is that... Mm. Again, is that something you've always had, or is that more a trained skill to kind of look at a situation and say, actually, I'm not going to just look at it from my angle. Yeah. I'm going to put myself in someone else's shoes. Have you made a deliberate effort to look at things that way? Yeah. I think of my, my mum and my, yeah, I think my parents have really helped me kind of hone that skill. This is just a personality trait just to focus on different perspectives. And then over time as I've been, yeah, trying to hone my craft in comedy. Yeah. I enjoy seeing other perspectives more and more. Another, yeah. Another perspective I found really fun. And like me learning as a comedian is that I did one bit about me going into my granddad's nursing home and I end up just like ragging on so many old people and the crowd weren't about it. And I was like, that's fair. But what I, then what I found interesting was then I put my dad, I use the exact same jokes, but I use them as my dad, but my dad was saying it to me. In a way of like, and I felt everyone now related to having that silly dad that would do funny jokes. And then it killed. The exact same jokes, but instead of me being a bully to all these old people, it was my dad whispering me these funny jokes and me going like, Dad, stop doing it, we're in public. And the exact same jokes are just such a better reaction. And And that for me was like figuring out who would be a funnier perspective? Also, I think using parents as a as, as a reference. Obviously, everyone, majority of people have parents, and I think everyone, yeah, has that figure that you look up to. And so, I've had someone heckle me the other day. Not a heckle, but someone, uh, like one of my friends, yelled out, "Take off your shirt!" And I was like, "Thanks, mom." And yeah, it was just, <laughs> just I think I don't know. And I even yeah, I my mom and dad came to my show uh, a few like a month ago, and. 
I did a joke about, yeah, about sex or some joke and the whole crowd was laughing but a bit uneased and I was like, yes guys, I know my parents are here. Uh, <laughs> and what was their feedback from the show? Oh man, that's the best it. So my, uh, my cousin um, goes to the show um, all the time, she's a legend, and... Uh, my mum went to her, we're chatting, and her lovely boyfriend was like, oh, um, what do you think of the show? And she goes, well, I love my son. You know? So, now my mum came to my hour show. It goes for an hour. A lot of jokes. My mum, after it, so happy, because I think there's a whole proud of just, like, seeing their son do their, uh, yeah, enjoy themselves doing their craft. But my mum, so sincerely, goes, Reese, I went to your show, and I laughed twice. <laughs> And I remember those exact moments as well. I was like, she would love the love the Jesus jokes. She would. They crush. Uh, but <laughs> oh man, it was just like a mum burn. I was like, damn, laughed twice. And Reese, you grew up in Blacksland in the Lower Blue Mountains. Mm. What was your childhood like? Super wholesome. I I've uh, yeah. Someone asked. We're talking about. I don't know. Someone asked me the other day, like like challenges I've ever faced, and I just thought, I was like, man, I'm growing up. I have. I've been very fortunate to have such a supportive parents. I, I'm one of five children. I have two older brothers, older sister and a younger sister. And I think it kind of weirds people out how close I am with my family. I think some are like, oh, like, because I don't know. Like, I talk about my brothers and sisters so highly. And they're like, I think be like, oh, so like, one of them's going to be damaged. Or relationship, I'm like, no, we, we kill it. Like, and it's been like that my whole life. Um... Living in Blacksland, uh, yeah, super lovely backyard, uh, pool, spa. Um, some people say comedy comes through trauma. I have none of that. Like, <laughs> it's like no drama. I was like, Mom, hit me a little. Come on, do something. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm super fortunate. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think also I have two, both my brothers are very eccentric, very loud, and. I didn't think I was the quiet one, but I think I always like found my moments when I could. Uh, yeah, no, it's super, such a, super, such a very blessed upbringing. Yeah, very close with everyone. And what role did creativity play in those, I guess, younger years? You know, was there a sense of exploration and freedom? Like, where did you find yourself stimulated at a young age? I don't think there was like one activity, but I do believe my mum and my both my mum and dad are just very. Yeah, eccentric and just loud and just very engaging, bringing everyone in. And also uh, a lot of trust in, uh, yeah, I think I'm also very lucky to have uh, like six friends in about a 500 meter radius. And so we'd be going down the bush, hanging out with them, blowing shit up and just, yeah, you know, sorry, sorry, mum, dad, um, you were right. Um, <laughs> you're blowing stuff up. No. Yeah, no, we definitely were. Um, we nearly caused a fire. It's all good. But yeah, I think that was kind of just having a lot of friends close by. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely uh, recreational, just like sports. Yeah, just a lot of hanging out. I think also uh, being so blessed being in the Blue Mountains. Uh, and it's such a nice thing of when you, uh, yeah, move out of home or you go traveling. And obviously it's nice to experience different cultures and, yeah, different situations. But it's so nice. And I've talked to so many people from the Blue Mountains where you're like, oh man, where we grew up is phenomenal. It's, yeah, I such a great, I wouldn't change it at all. It's, yeah, and then I think just having a pool, just, I think, and also spa, it's, as much as you say money doesn't buy happiness, spas do, um, it's true. <laughs> and what was your schooling experience like? Was there the chance for you to 
start to hone your craft through your schooling years or was school for you educational? How did you approach those years? Yeah, I think school definitely I wasn't honed in for, yeah, like definitely wasn't as focused in the education part as I probably should have. I never thought I would be, I like, if I honestly, if I got to, got to talk to my younger self and be like, hey man, you're going to be a comedian, you're going to run a comedy room, I'd be like, dude, that's crazy. That's awesome. I, especially as we talked before, I've always had a lovely sense of storytelling and just that engagement and just having that moment that someone else has done or, yeah, I've been, I've just kindly or, yeah, luckily been a part of, I think a lot of, yeah, yeah, so much stories have just come through, uh, yeah, just moments of high school and just being a part of it uh, and then, again, just, I think, simulating myself with this very outgoing and lovely people and not people who were closed off, because obviously high school is a bit nerve-wracking, but I think the people I was with were super, yeah, obviously, like, ragged on each other, but it was, again, a really good uh, simulation between women and men. Uh, boys and girls, sorry. And, oh, and also, I think, for me, is I've, I really enjoyed hanging out with my female friends, sometimes more than my guy friends, because I thought... Yeah, I don't know, especially, like, like my first, like, jokes in comedy were actually more tailored to women, which I was really excited about because I thought there's a fun perspective of just this straight guy talking about just ragging on straight dudes, and I just, I think, I got a really good reaction, and that's kind of, yeah, when I first started comedy, that was a really good thing. You touched on, like, if you could talk to your younger self. Yeah. Career-wise, do you think there's too much expectation placed on kids in year 11 and 12 about what they should do with their life oh absolutely yeah i man, i don't even know what i wrote down for what i wanted to be um i think i, I think something's like i want to be in a suit and i was like that's wrong dude i yeah i think there's so much pressure on but it's i don't know i, I actually know i'm trying to remember i thought it was a bit of pressure again i was i was lucky enough to simulate myself with really lovely people that people were I think motivated, but weren't like, this is who I'm going to be. I think everyone was, again, pretty yeah, light-footed, just going, I think I want to do this. And you could just feel it. It's like, yeah, it's high school. And then, as we all know, when you leave high school, you're like, I'm so out of my depth. <laughs> it's like when you first move out of home, you're like, I don't need your parents, I'm killing it now. And then you're just eating toast and don't even afford peanut and butter. And you're like, all right, Domino's pizza again? <laughs> I hate how they know my order. <laughs> It's so sad. <laughs> and were there pressures either internally or externally straight out of school to, to when I'll use inverted commas, yeah. to find a normal job? No, I was, again, I'm so lucky to have uh, my, my very supportive mum and father just, and again, it was trial and error through my, uh, yeah, my older siblings. Uh, some of, my older sister went on a gap year and just, I think, I think a lot of Australians are really lucky to do that. And on a salary uh, from McDonald's, uh, uh, shout out. Um, but yeah, to go to a car, I remember talking to people and they're like, oh, like, how much do you earn in McDonald's? I'm like, $21 an, an hour. And they're like, fuck, what? And so I think, again, as Australians, we are so blessed to, yeah, do that. So I definitely, uh, straight away, just travelled uh, and came back. And no, I, again, was, I know there was definitely no sense of like, I need to do this. I went to university, like a lot of people going, I think I need to. I think I want to do this. And yeah, unfortunately I figured out too late. I was like, I don't want to do marketing at all. As a, if we've referenced before. Also that story that I told at 
uh, in front of those lovely crowd of people uh, about me, um, yeah, when my friends dragged me. Again, this is a perspective of, um, yeah, I, t- I think it's funny, and I think a lot of people relate to your mates doing a prank on you, uh, and obviously this is an extreme thing of them literally, uh, yeah, lacing my water um, and sending me off, but I actually drugged myself. Yeah, I drug- Yeah, I just thought, I wrote pretty much three quarters of that joke, and I was like, man, this would be so funny. But, and I, I'm a really strong believer of you experience it and then you can tell an audience. Because I think a lot of, like, so many audience can see that, like, oh, like, he's actually gone through this. Or, like, like she's gone through this. It's just that sense of, oh, like, wow, this is real. But, like, when I looked at this crowd, I was like, I was on MDMA at this tutorial and I was gurning so much that I, yeah, was just beating sweat. <laughs> and the guy next to me is like, dude, who are you? And I was like, dude, I don't even know anymore. Like, it kind of, yeah, that factor. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Reese, when you first took the mic at age 22 at UNSW, yeah. it was an unpaid gig there. Mm. Was it career aspirations at that point, or were you kind of dipping your toe in the water? It was a little bit of fun. Like, Where was your headspace at in terms of comedy in your life? I think in that point of time, was definitely dipping my toe in it. But also, I yeah, I was the, the week leading up to it, I don't think I've worked so hard on a performance, which is really nice, because it was my first gig... And I built it up in a nice way. I was like, this is, I want to give this my all. I'm going to, I've got five minutes. And then I had uh, a good friend of mine who's actually been on the show, uh, Jack Hunter, help me with, uh, yeah, my actual just my performance. And he came over to my house every night. And yeah, we went through it. Uh, and he was also really good and kind of set a precedent for how I think everyone should um, approach art is that it should be original and should be yourself. Because I was a really, yeah, I was 22 and I did a joke that uh, a very famous comedian does. And I was just like, going to put it in there, just like a nice little buffer. And he just goes, man, no, we're never going to do that. Because do you know why? Because when people grow up, not people grow up, but other artists, like someone will be like, hey man, that, that's a Reese Boyles joke. So you don't do that. And I think that for me was so nice to go, like, yeah, I'm never... It was, yeah, it was a nice little push. Um, and, yeah, the, the actual performance was uh, so outstanding. It's such a supportive crowd. It was, like, yeah, 50, 60 people uh, slam poetry versus uh, comedy. Uh, and so that was very fun. And I really enjoyed uh, some of my friends who were very out of their element. It was also state of origin. And so my mates were, like, big footy guys were like, nah, mate, I'm coming to watch you. And so they came into the crowd and people were, like, I don't know if you've known slam poetry, but you don't like woo or clap but if you're enjoying it you click and so imagine these big footy dudes coming into a room missing out on state of origin coming into a room of 60 people very university students and everyone's just going just clicking <laughs> and, and my mates is like just so it's like all right i guess we're doing it we're doing it live uh yeah so that was 
it was interesting. And then, yeah, my actual performance, I just, yeah, I gave it, I worked so hard on it. And I remember, yeah, I just, from the start, I was like, these stories are so funny. But that's the best thing about stand-up is that you might have a story, but what is the craft of now refining it, editing it, adding to it, exaggerating, bringing it back and like, what's funny, what's not, cutting all the fat and just tightening it up. And yeah, and then having uh, having supportive people who can help you with that development and then get it up to where you need to go. What's the balance between that feedback loop, leaning on other people's advice, but then also trusting your gut and mm. trusting your experience? Mm. How do you find that balance? I oh, I enjoy that balance. Personally, because if you think about it, they, especially, it's really interesting with stand-up is that no matter, like, you get advice or this, I always listen to advice, but... I, I will always be like, hey, I just give them a disclaimer. Like, I would, before you give advice, whatever you give, it's, I'm the one taking the bullets. I'm the one in front of the light. And so I, some people might go, hey, man, like, maybe fix this bit around. But at the end of, like, yeah, probably at the time, I'm like, no, this is up to me to, yeah, I'm going to be taking bullets. I'm either going to take the reaction of doing really well or not. Uh, but advice, um, yeah, just on like, uh, just like through other comedians, it's also hard when, yeah, as I, especially when I started, I talked to a lot of established comedians and that was so nice. And I, uh, I learned more and more at word count. Word count was a big one, just word economy. And I was like, what is word economy? That sounds fun. But just the economy of words to get to the punchline. And again, is that advice of, and then just watching, developing, and just seeing established comedians who've obviously clearly perfected their craft. And again, it's, it's and also stage presence as well, is that holding yourself on stage and be like, and it was what we talked about earlier of, yeah, you see, uh, yeah, like you don't fall. You're, and also, uh, Will Anderson does a really nice thing of saying, uh, sometimes stand up feels like you're a pilot of a plane and you have to show the rest, the audience, you're like, no, I'm in control. We've got this. Because a lot of audience uh, emphasize with how you feel. And I've learned more and more as, as a comedian is that if I'm enjoying myself, then the crowd, if they're enjoying my material, will also enjoy themselves. Because I've started and I got in my head and then the crowd, majority of the time, I have definitely met people who are like, I love people suffering on stage. Dude, they're real and they're so funny. And I respect them a little bit. I don't tell people. But I have people go to open mics go, oh man, I hate because he did well. Um, I love when they just destroy and dismantle. <laughs> and no, but the majority of the people who aren't psychopaths, um, who are a great audience, will empathize with you. So if you're enjoying yourself in the material, then they're going to be with you, and which is really nice. That's a bit of human nature, right? Like yeah. letting your guard down... People can feel that. People can sense that as well. Mm. And along the same lines, we were talking about the balance there. People I've spoken to on the podcast, especially in creative arts and performing arts, it's very easy to chase perfection and try to make things absolutely squeaky clean before they go out into the public eye. Mm. But then you're actually compromising and you're not getting the output. So how do you go about saying, you know what, this piece is going to be 70% good but it's out there and that's better than a hundred percent sitting in my top drawer. Like how do you go about uh, managing perfection versus output? Uh, I think, again, this is, I'm, I think the way, and I've actually told other, yeah, comics who, um, yeah, are coming up, uh, is that have friends who love comedy, who love stand up, but do, are not comedians themselves. 
And uh, the way I basically is like I write and then I edit and then I uh, form. A lot of times before I actually perform it on stage, I've shown maybe five or six people that one joke or one bit. And because I, again, I, like a lot of comedians just need affirmation. And for me, having friends who are critical and honest with me, who I've been best friends, who I've been, yeah, super close with for years, who can be like, hey man, super funny, that's super funny, that that's terrible, that's going to... And then again, it's that advice where you're like, I'm going to keep doing it. And that's very funny situations where you go, nah, dude, I don't care what you think, that's funny. And then you go up and it bombs, and then your friend's like, <laughs> told you so. Told you! And you're like, nah, and you're going to, yeah. And there's also the confidence that you have to be like, no, this is my joke, I'm going to do it. Uh, a lot of comedians as well I've seen, especially like in the open mic scene, will fall on the sword. Uh, and by that, it's like a joke won't go well, and they'll just go, oh, well, that didn't go well. Uh, and I've never been a fan because I will get a laugh, but I don't really like that. I, especially with my style, it's very story based. And so you just kind of keep continually going. And so if a bit doesn't go, like a, one particular punchline doesn't go well, just keep honing it. And just, I'm not honing it, but just keep, in that moment, just keep pushing forward because I feel like when you fall on the sword, you, know, you don't have faith in the, the joke. And so, yeah, it's kind of learning. It goes back to your pilot reference. Yeah. Because you don't want the pilot saying, you know, oh, I missed that button or mm. I forgot to turn this on. To a degree, you don't want to know that. It's just you plow ahead. Yeah. Keep the plane going and, and, you know, we'll get there in the end. Yeah. It's fun. And also there's a nice thing of... There is, this, again, how you go about it of seeing... Not people, like, fail, but people flandering around is actually... A, what I've learned is actually very funny in itself. I, for instance, so I've been really enjoying emceeing, and one thing I've learned as an MC is that you you will like jokes will oh yeah moments will definitely fall short, but don't yeah don't like laugh, kind of laugh it off, but also just like push forward and just be like all right gonna keep pushing yeah it's just like this uphill battle because you see I think it's there's such a relatability of seeing someone pick themselves up and just. Like, yeah, like, kind of fight through it. But it's also, you're, like, not fighting, but you're going against a room of, like, yeah, 30 or 40 people, and you're like, no, you're not going to take me down, you're not going to cancel me, and, yeah, I think just seeing, like, my, yeah, I had a friend do that the other day, it was ridiculously funny. And, Reese, you are the MC, and you produce uh, standout comedy uh, mm. in Sydney. It's been built from the ground up, and it's really prospered now, which is, it's awesome to see. How did it all come to fruition? How did it first start for you? Uh, so for me it started, uh, so I used to bartend, um, at this pub and they ran comedy and I was the bartender for the comedy show every, every, it was like, I think it was a Wednesday night and every Wednesday I was just the bartender for it and the, the guy was a host is, uh, a good friend to this day, um, and yeah, he was just, I remember just like him, like how he ran it and stuff, uh, and I just remember, I don't know, I, I, uh, deep down, I, I knew also, I again, as I've said earlier before, is that I've had such a such a supportive friend group. And this guy, um, uh, his name's Dan Muggleton, really lovely guy. He gave me my first spot at this venue. Um, it was like my first uh, booked gig, which Did is you cool. instigate that? Did you say, I want a spot? Or he knew no, you were No, he knew I was, he started doing stand-up and I was bartending and he's like, hey man, you want to jump up? And I was like, Ah! <laughs> and he was like, Are you sure? I was like, let's do it. And then it was, yeah. And that was, I'm so, such a, yeah, to this day, such a, like he's 
I jam up that he's like a mentor and he's like, don't call me that. I'm like, yeah, you're my mentor. You're my best bud. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that was such a beautiful moment, especially the act before did some joke on cancer and some guy just goes, do not joke about that. And the whole, and just got, I've never seen someone bomb so hard. The MC, who's my friend, had to run up on stage and be like, hey, and like quieten the audience down. It was just this energy. And then I'm up next. And I'm there going, oh, well, these tradie dudes are going to hate me. But they end up loving me, which is super nice. And so, yeah. Again, I think it's that likability, which I think I, I have just in general life. But to bring that on stage, because everyone is very, like, I don't know if much a stand-up fan, but there's obviously everyone's got different personas, different energy. But I've now really just taken on, not like being myself, but just an exaggerated part of me. Because like, yeah, obviously a lot of material I keep focusing on, but just that energy of, man, just like this happy going, talking to random people. If there's a moment, it might fail, but if not, it's going to be a moment for that audience and for that crowd. And I remember that particular moment when those two dudes who heckled and were like hating this other comedian, I did a joke and they both laughed. I was like, I knew you'd bloody love that. And they're like, ah. And we had beers after. It was mad. I was so nervous. Uh, so scared. <laughs> Do you think that was a moment in time? Like had that set bomb for you, mm. do you think you just pack up comedy, put it away and never come back? Or was there always going to be a time where you'd uncover it? Oh, no. You always... I don't know. I think for me it's like, I, you got to put your heel in the ground and be like, nah, I want to do this. And I think with any art form, there's always this definitely... Absolutely, without a doubt, there were moments where I was like, ah, oh, I'm not doing this ever again. What am I doing with my... Also, it's really hard, especially I didn't have any uh, transport. So I'd be getting a bus. One of the worst gigs I've had was I went <laughs> uh, to Manly. So I was living in Kensington. I got a bus, uh, another bus, and then a ferry to this gig. And also, I didn't know Tony Abbott, that was his electric. And I was like, oh, got this funny new Tony Abbott joke. And I did it, and it just, oh man, they hated me. Hated me so hard. And I'm just talking about like the flandering. No one liked me. It was just this energy that was like 40 people no one liked me. <laughs> and then and then I just... Not, not a paid gig. I got a beer that I just sadly drank. And then I got on the ferry back. And I was like, ah, oh, man, this is... I remember that moment. Just like, just going with the waves. Just going, I could... This sucks. <laughs> do you embrace those moments, though? As hard as they are, yeah. do you know that you're going to grow out of them? Again, it's that moment of... We're laughing about it now, which is so good. And I definitely look back on it and go, like, I never want to do that. I never want to go through that again. Definitely... I wasn't positive, without a doubt, on that ferry. <laughs> I laugh about it now. And again, it's that beautiful moment where like, man, I can't wait to tell people about this joke. Like, I think we all have that moment where like, we trip over and we eat shit and we're just like rubbing up. We've, yeah, we've gone bloody on the ground. You don't think of that moment. You're like, oh, this is sick. <laughs> but I do, that's the thing I do laugh. is like, I'll be on the ground and I'll be like, oh man, this would be pretty funny when I tell my mates about this. And so, yeah, I think, I, I tell that fairy story a lot because I think that was a nice little cat catalyst moment for me where I was like, a lot of learning. And also that drove me to getting a motorbike as well because I was like, man, I want to enjoy going to a gig and not getting, because <laughs> if you buy, that's the best thing, having transport to a gig, I'd go, hopefully do well, and then just suit home. But if, like, good or bad, I'm not just catching a bus and just, it would take away the energy of the night. Just, yeah, it was a lot of learning. And standout comedy, mm. I guess, as a product or a business or, or an act. What what was that first gig like? The first one you hosted? 
Oh, phenomenal. It was, yeah, a lot of fun. Watching my friend um, the, yeah, host the show, and he did a really good job. The venue kind of screwed him over a bit. But I remember the whole time going, I, I want to add, I think I can do this. I really think I could do this. And I think also learning more and more about not just a show, because there's the same, there's such a, there's amazing comedians in Sydney, but each show can book those people. Like, how do you differentiate yourself? And I'd now focused more on space, where I was like, how, what can I do with the space? How can I make it engaging for people? Um, what can I have? And then it was, and then it was nice to kind of use my marketing degree in that of like, what's point of entry? Like when they walk in, what do they see? How are they entering? What's the smell? And just like learning different things. And then I installed like fairy lights. I got, and then I saw the brand of yellow. I love yellow as a color. Uh, yeah. And just that kind of evolved in itself. And then I wanted to differentiate myself from every other comedy room. And I was like, improv. Like, and that was the interesting thing is that I had the idea of improv without actually watching improv. And my girlfriend at the time, was absolute sweetheart, we went to so many different just improv open mic nights, and they sucked. And they sucked so hard. And I remember we sat front row, and I just had my hands on my face, and I'm like, oh my god. And I was like, and my boss, who was like, hey man, like, you found the improv team, and like, he was super hyped, he was putting money towards it, and I was like, oh man, we got a really good team coming. Uh, <laughs> I remember like, oh, this idea. But then, uh, through lovely connections, I... I uh, went on a coffee date uh, with this lovely uh, lady called uh, Maddie HW, and uh, she was telling me about their group, their trio called Snake Pit, um, and then I saw them headline, um, This and it was on a Sunday night at this, yeah, this like small gig, there was only probably like nine people in the audience, and I brought myself and five people, and I, <laughs> we were very scat, we were just sitting on the couch, just like that hungover like couch thing. But the energy they brought and just the, yeah, energy, uh, just like so funny, outrageous. And I just remember watching, like, this is exactly what I'd love in a room. Is that that mad balance between stand-up, which is like well-crafted, then just outrageous improv, which is, which I've learned more and more. It's like, one, it's such a beautiful art. It's amazing to watch. When it's done well, it's one of the worst things when it's not. Uh, I think stand-up is really fun to watch when it's bad, sometimes. Like, if you go to open mic, because you're like, oh, man, this guy thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, having Snake Pit are just phenomenal. They're, they bring the energy every time. Oh, I, I cannot... And finding them, and again, it's that balance between... They're so happy because... Yeah, having, like, constantly paid gigs for improv, for them... I remember we had a beautiful... Like, our first year together, I would just remember being really emotional, going like, this is something like, we've created, and they're just like, ah, and they're just, they're three very individual, beautiful people, but together, they're, yeah, phenomenal. Success in any project is often, comes down to taking an idea and actually putting it into action. Mm. You know, there's millions of people out there with great ideas, but the key is actually making something of it. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone who has that great idea and they, they want to bring it to life, How do, what's that first step they should take to make it happen? I think, again, I'm really fortunate to have supportive. I think having that initial support is, yeah, I would take that on. I think, perspective-wise, it's having close friends and family who, I think, yeah, focusing on your craft as much as you can. But if you're... I don't know. 
I think the foundation to what you're pursuing, that would be the biggest thing. Before putting it out there, I would do everything you can for opening day. Whatever opening day is for you, whatever that initial start is, I would do everything I could before I could get there. But all, and also know that there are going to be some definitely some terrible times. I've had a show where we, yeah, we had four people. It was like, our, like, we've been going for about two and a half years. And yeah, we had one show where we had four people. And I was like devastated. And but one of the comedians was so good. She's like, we're going to give these four people the best show. And we did. And I just gave everyone way too many shots. And we just got blind, and yeah, but then we end up like people uh, like randomly from the street came up, enjoyed, but yeah, I think that there will be absolutely hardships uh, to pursue. I think I don't know I, having faith is a, a a big one, and just in yourself and in the room, um, and I don't know. I think also starting is looking at not in a, a uh, like a serious way, but also and like yeah critical way is looking at your competition of like whatever whatever platform you're going in what are the big rooms doing what are they doing different from other rooms and then if you can differentiate from them still bring that yeah because I, I can only talk from experience with standout but I knew that like at my the venue that I'm at there are other actual comedy uh, rooms in that uh, space but I knew that I was like I want to differentiate myself so much from them and that in a way of, not in like a aggressive way, but I was like, I'm going to put, I get, so the show starts at 7.30, I get there at around 4-ish, sometimes earlier, to just set everything up. Like I bought, pill, I bought, um, went to Spotlight and got um, pillars, I make these like nice material for every pillar, it's all yellow. I recently bought way too many sunflowers and I've just put them all around the venue. And then it's just like, kind of, yeah, sticking sticking to your brand and pushing it uh and yeah and, the, and then investing i think a big thing is also investment i think if you're going to pursue something know that there's you pursue it for the longevity because sometimes the short gain will be really daunting and you're like oh man because i think a lot of people starting will be like oh like do i how much money do i put in but i think for me which i was loving it was i want to do this for a long time i want to i have a lot of faith in this room that it will go somewhere big or somewhere it's like beautifully consistent, where it's just like a room that everyone will go to on a Monday night. Monday night, and it would be yeah, it would be just a, like everyone will like know about it. But this will take time, and and that's why I was excited. And also enjoy the people that you work with in the process. I I think for me, uh, working by myself was pretty daunting. I think if anyone is pursuing something that it it's super yeah, it's a lot, and there's a lot of pressure on yourself. Because, yeah, you have days where you just, like, fluff around. And, like, that's the thing with, like, a job is that someone is paying you to do a service or, uh, yeah, create something. Whilst when you're creating something, you're your own boss and you hate your employee. And you're just like, you suck. (laughs) And I think that is, yeah, again, pressure that you put on yourself. But I think this is, like, understanding that you'll have times where you'll definitely succeed. And then, again, also appreciating those moments because like I've had shows where it's like packed out crazy and then I was like all right what are we doing next week but I think and then I've had lovely friends like dude no like before we go in tomorrow let's just really enjoy tonight in a way of like dude, this is crazy what you've like yeah 
through friends you've created. And then I've met lovely people on the way. I've met lovely graphic designers who developed the logo. Um, and then, uh, and obviously like the comedians that I've met and the positivity that, uh, both obviously the audience, but the performers have had and said to me like, dude, I love performing at your show and just the vibe and energy that like, I really hone. And that's why I enjoy emceeing because I can, I can control that as in like somebody standing back and I've had MCs who are absolutely amazing and do a great thing, but there's sometimes that energy is lacking a little bit. And so it's nice again. Yeah. Kind of. And also I think if you are starting something, uh, appreciate the, yeah, the control that you can have on it and also, but respect that control because you might, yeah, I think respect in a way of the, you are, especially people paying a service. You're like, no, I want to, Give them a night that they'll enjoy, uh, and then they'll hopefully tell their friends. But in that particular moment, yeah, like the, the comedians that I book, sometimes I say no to booking a comedian, even though I actually like their material. But I've got to know my audience more and more uh, that I was like, I don't think they'll do well. And so it's not about me anymore. It's about the people that I'm giving a service to. And I've just sadly told some comedians like, man, I love your stuff, but... I don't think you'll do well. And then I've had comedians like, no, dude, I'll do it. And I've booked them and they didn't do well. And they're like, oh. <laughs> There's a great review that came out this week about standout comedy. Mm. And one of the lines that jumped out to me was the reference to, you could tell that there were regulars in the room. Mm. Firstly, what does that mean to you to have regulars like, and have a, a captive support group but was there also a point a point in time where you said, actually, this is this has got a bit of momentum. Uh, yeah. Oh man, absolutely. Well, one super absolute chuff to have regulars. Also, it's funny. Like, it's just a, there's obviously a light and shadow in every situation. Um, but I think there's just a funny, just a selfish uh, shadow with having regulars. Is that I'm like, man, I've got to write new material. Um, <laughs> Because, like, I'm very, like, yeah, I've been uh, doing other gigs around Sydney where I have this, like, tight 10 minutes and I like, go do that 10 and that everyone's like, ah, this is new and exciting, ah, and everyone has a fun time. I can't do that. I can't do that material. Like, I've had friends who are like, dude, I've heard that joke 20 times. I'm like, ah, it's so good, though. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I love, but having those regulars, uh, it means everything. And it's such a good foundation to bring more people in and not just like friends of friends, but I mean in a way of creating that environment for the people who do come, like the new people. And they're like, yeah, I think having that, I think also, yeah, to answer your question, like momentum, definitely. And I think that was a nice thing to, I had lovely, like a, when I first started, I had the same group, like come every single show. And I honestly, without them, I, yeah, I don't know how I would go. I don't know if standout would be where I'm at without them. And, but the thing is that there wasn't, and it's nice, like with any friend doing an art form, uh, is when you love their art and you can kind of push your love for them. Cause I, I'm not push away, but you're like, I love that person and I love their art. Cause I've had friends who like, who I thoroughly appreciate. And then I've seen their art. And I'm like, Ugh. and so they're, when they're like, come support, I'm like, nah. but it's so nice. And I make such an effort to put in that, like the, into the show 
that when my friends are supporting me, they don't even come for me anymore. They come for the show. And then that, the, having those regulars there, I knew it just wasn't about our friendship. It was them wanting to have friends and enjoy a night out. And that for me was phenomenal. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Five years' time, mm. where's standout comedy in an ideal world? An ideal world, uh, standout comedy is... I don't even need to think about ticket sales. That would be the best. That, like, I don't have to constantly look at, oh, how are we doing this week for ticket sales? I would be just constantly, yeah, packing out. And, I don't know, I think, like, that's obviously just, like, a business point, but I, I think it would be uh, a household... Yeah, not household name, but... A name that you'd be like, in this night, oh yeah, that standouts on. Like, that for me, just like, uh, yeah, I, I would love it to get to that point where, I, yeah, like, obviously you want regulars, but to, uh, yeah, there's uh, some rooms that, like, I've looked up to who were just, you're like, and also that point, and I think we're starting to build that momentum where comedians will come to it like, oh, this is a big deal. I'm performing at this, I want to give it my best, I want to do well, that's really nice. But I think the, what I love, which I, I had the other night, and which was for me such a beautiful stepping stone, was a big act, Dave Hughes. Um, yeah, uh, just through a friend, heard about the show, and he was just like so excited, he just wants to jump up. And I think for me, like maybe like, yeah, hopefully it happens before five years, but I would love to, especially having a night on Monday, which is not like your popular night, for big names to like come in and be like, oh man, like I just want to... Uh, try out new material, see a vibe. I th- would love Stand Out to be there, where I would have names, especially when restrictions lift in, hopefully in five years. <laughs> It'd be terrible as not. <laughs> Mary, put your shit together. But like, Mary, like, a, yeah, I think there's an Italian guy who hit me up, like a headliner. It was pretty funny. But I would love to, that's like a side thing I would really appreciate uh, in a venue, is if I had big names just wanting to come and just try stuff out. And I think, like, drop in and just having that, like, regular momentum of, like, you're going to see an amazing show plus big names might jump in, which I think that would be, oh, be amazing. Was that a pinch yourself moment when you found out Dave Hughes was coming to your show mm. and then when he actually turned up and performed his gig? When you throw back to that 22-year-old race yeah. at UNSW with his friends clicking their fingers to now, like, do you pinch yourself? Oh, I, I don't know. I've never been, like... Yeah, just being honest, I don't think I've always appreciated moments as much as I should. Uh, it definitely... I was, like, I definitely ecstatic, without a doubt. I don't think I've always, like, this is a dream come true. But I think I think there's also uh, a confidence that you want to have as well with those moments. You're, like... And, like, clearly, it's... That's, again, it's very funny where... Like, to you, you're a good friend where, like, other people are like, dude, Dave Hughes came. I'm like, yeah, dude, Dave Hughes always come. He, I actually have his number. He's my best mate. Uh, it actually, in brackets, says, best mate Hugh. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's, like, kind of comments that you want to show 
but whilst also like close friends like dude that was so crazy and I think that's yeah definitely pitch moments where you go to your in- and that's why I love as well in this art form is that I've met so many lovely comedians and this is such a there's a growing really supportive uh, scene in Sydney which is really nice um, but I do see a lot of comedians more as yeah it's like more of a professional environment which I enjoy, not professional, but like a workplace where like I would like to be amicable with everyone, have a nice relationship, but I have my intimate group of friends who I adore and they're the moments where I, I can kind of put down, not a wall, but yeah, I can be completely myself with them and so I can go through the absolute highs and the absolute lows, but I do that with my intimate friends, but with the, yeah, like kind of the professional sense and the other comedians... I'm still definitely a part of myself, but not, yeah, you know what I mean? And has there been an idol from the early days, someone you really looked up to? You might not have met them, but someone you've said, I love how they operate, mm. I love how they hold themselves, I want to be like them? Uh, oh, I actually met them, um, and it was, uh, yeah, to this day, I just don't think they knew the effect they had on me. Uh, my favourite uh, Australian comedian, Reese Nicholson, actually, he is originally from Newcastle, but was based in Sydney for many years. And one of my first booked gigs, um, he was headlining. And I'm my friend who was running the room. He's like, "Hey man, do you want to perform?" I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" Uh, I remember he's like, "Hey, in this month, when do you want to perform?" And I knew the exact date Reese was performing. I was like, "That one, that would be the best." And um, yeah, and I that and the show went really well. And I w- was talking to him in the green room. And I don't think I want, like, his style, if you haven't seen him, look him up, he's phenomenal. But I don't think I would, as his comedic style, but he's just, I think, yeah, he's so humble and so outgoing. Um, And I think for me, uh, what I really took from that is that no matter, like, yeah, he's such a, he's like a, a definitely household name in comedy. But he's such a nice human. And I think that kind of, yeah, definitely took a lot for, as a person I would like to be in any kind of sense is, yeah, just being the, yeah, like making sure that whatever connection you have with someone, even it be like two minutes, half an hour, whatever, is that both people are leaving happy. And I think that talking him to that in, in that moment was phenomenal. Yeah. Within the arts, there is often a sense that success might appear to be a fluke or a lightning strike you know something all your stars aligning at the right time and, mm. and i had a similar chat with katie lees mm. in an early episode of the passion and perspective podcast that from an outsider i think there's not often an appreciation of the hours and hours of toil that go into the arts specifically and it might take 20 years of that before you make what people deem is you know the big time celebrity status mm. are you often aware that this this is a, it is a long game and it's it's a long journey or do you are you wanting that kind of instant success um, and a fame that might come with it I definitely think that yeah especially in stand up I think there's yeah you just got to if you're going to do it I think uh, I've seen a really good comedian talk about it and he just said if if you're pursuing stand up to be rich and famous you're an idiot don't do it and I think that yeah really kind of but kind of yeah it's kind of set a nice tone to how I pursue it I think with any kind of art form is that I don't I would love if I can make a living off this that is the best I think that for me is like you're doing your craft 
Um, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think fame was, or like, yeah, I need like riches. I didn't, and also the hours put in, absolutely. I think you need to, yeah, appreciate those hours and then also respect it so much more. Like when you, with any art form or anything, when you actually try it, you're like, whoa. Because, yeah, I've talked to friends who, uh, or like people I've met in life who are like, oh, stand up, I'll give it a go. And then I always just go, do it. Do it. Because then you'll bomb, and then you'll never have this thought again, and you won't talk about it at the barbecue to your mates going, mate, I'd bloody crush that, I'm hilarious. Like, and I think that's when, yeah, when you've, like, I talked to a friend recently about, like, yeah, like surfing. I always watch it, I was like, yeah, you get on a wave, and you kill it. But I think, and then you go on the, in the ocean, and you paddle out, and you just eat so much shit, and so much seawater, and you go, oh man, I respect this now. And I think that, yeah, I do believe with experience yeah you definitely learn that how do you overcome the doubters in what you do Reese? because there's always going to be naysayers out there people who think you're you know kidding yourself if you're going to pursue something like this how do you overcome those people um one i've again i've been so fortunate to have not really interactions with those people <laughs> is that deliberate though like do you think you've well, not even deliberate. Do you yeah. think you've subconsciously hung out with those kind of people? Absolutely. I think, yeah. I had a, a friend who I met recently and, uh, like, through my girlfriend, and he was like, man, like, uh, all your friends, so lovely. And then I realized, I'm like, yeah, majority are, because, and I think that's really tailored to, we've all unanimously just, yeah, we pride ourselves in building connections with wholesome people, but really open and about it. And I don't know, I've had definitely people like, have doubts, but I think not to, and it's not about comparison, you don't want to put someone else down, but I kind of laugh with, like, me running standout, I, I, obviously, I do put a lot of effort into it, but, like, they don't need to know all that, I just go, did I work one day a week, uh, and then it's like, ah, that's pretty cool, and then, <laughs> I was like, dude, I went to the beach seven times today, I didn't even need to, you know, like, <laughs> I work a bit, 12 and that was early uh <laughs> what time did you wake up for your job uh but yeah i don't know things like that i think i would more just talk about how relaxed my lifestyle is i think if i was going to if i was against someone like that i'm like man what time did you wake up today and they're like ah oh, i don't know but it again it's just i think it's also if i would if i was genuinely in that conversation i'd be like well, how do you value your time and for me putting effort into, yeah, writing material and having time to engage with a complete stranger and make them laugh is pretty amazing. And to and would stand out to create an environment where both audience and performers thoroughly enjoy themselves and people pay me for that. It's awesome. So I think that's how I'd kind of go about it, yeah. Have you found over the years, Reese, that you've let your self-worth be tied to the success of standout and your either performances as a comedian or even as the MC or the producer. Like, have you found that if you've had an awesome show, you're riding that high, but if it's been a not so good show that you kind of hit rock bottom and your identity is tied to that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's me as an individual. I need to definitely grow. Um, but yeah, my, and I've always been a person with like I've always been an individual where my heart is always on my sleeve, and uh, yeah, and I definitely, and it's again that that pressure of 
when you are creating something by yourself, it's hard not to take it on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Emotionally get too connected to it. And I, especially with like, yeah, with ticket sales and all this, like not even just as performing aspect, but as a producer, um, yeah, like thinking about it. Like, and it's so ironic that I dropped out of university for marketing. I'm like, I'm never going to do this. And now I'm running a comedy room. I'm like, dude, there's so much marketing in this <laughs> and it kills me. Uh, but I think, yeah, definitely. And again, it's that moment of, especially for people around me where I want to, yeah, I definitely, I bring that environment. Uh, yeah. And as an MC and, but then again, it's a nice thing of as a performer, especially running this room is that I have a lot of control on how I can bring that energy and the atmosphere. Uh, but then again, there's that push of, there is a separation with sometimes, sometimes it's interesting with comedy, like the audience can make the night. It's not about the comedians. It's the audience. Also just like, it's interesting, like even like weather, like people, like when it rains, people just don't come. (laughs) And like people, especially Australians, man, I think we are really affected by, the weather and but also you know it's crazy and i'm so glad i do online ticketing now when i first started it was like just pay at the door obviously nice having cash in hand but i preferred ticket on the door because i've had people just give me money and not come and it gets it confuses me i don't know about you but i cannot for life of me buy a ticket and then not go to the show it's like someone just walking up giving you money and going like and just like, why, dude? <laughs> what do you want to do with this? I can give you a service. I'm like, nah, dude, just have it. You're like, all right. So, I don't know, like, again, just the emotional side of things. I, yeah, I, again, as this year, I've learned a lot more is that, and we said, as we said earlier, is that I really appreciate the nights that have gone well and know that this is something that we can keep creating and keep pushing. And sometimes there'll be moments that don't, and then just, I think with any kind of like, like yeah, fallback is that, yeah, what can we learn from this? What can we pursue from this? Uh, so it might be, yeah, it could just be the audience that time. Um, but yeah, there's all these different variables, but what is in my control, I would like to, yeah, absolutely do my utmost, my utmost best. And that's what I kind of, yeah, learning, learning all the time. In the creative process, Reese, the weeks leading up to every Monday, mm. How disciplined are you with your time? You know, are you blocking out a two-hour window to write? Or are you waking up each morning waiting for the creative wave to, to hit you? Uh, well, especially, I think at the moment, it's just kind of focusing on the producing side. So the creativity is not taking a lull, but I think I'm definitely, it's like nice to, yeah, I think the, the like as each week comes, it's just kind of focusing on how... Because I have so much faith in the service that I'm bringing. And I know... And that's why I have regulars. But it's like, how do I get more people to know about it? And that's why marketing is super important. Uh, <laughs> and it kills me. Uh, but I think it's like... I, I have so much faith in the service uh, and the environment that we create. I think each week it's just learning different ways to get it out there, different outlets. I started on flyering. That is draining, dude. I've had old people hate me and they're like, we don't do advertising. And I'm like, it's an experience. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and I'm like, dude, you need a laugh. I don't know. What role has social media played for you, Reese, in, in growing the brand and mm. in getting people to attend? Oh, massively. I think, yeah, it's, I think 
Yeah. I think obviously for the room, it's really good. I think also, like, as we said before, there's light and shadow with everything. And I think like, you've got to really push your personal values into advertising, which is hard. And which, cause you just, you say, you say, you feel like you're just walking into a crowd of people just going, come to my show and you just and like for me as a person I there's a part of me just gone every time I do some sort of advertising and I'm like they all hate you <laughs> everyone look at you they hate you but then I had a friend who's doing something similar different different world though and he's just like man there are going people 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 like that and you're like ah oh, don't tell me that but he's like but do it for the people who are about it and what you're offering they are they're gonna love and to the other people, hopefully you just have a good relationship outside of what you're selling. Um, but yeah, I absolutely, I think social media is such a, a tool. And it is, but as I said, it like, but as an individual, I am getting emotionally, definitely emotionally drained sometimes. And that's where you find that balance of just like going outside, uh, doing, yeah. And just hanging out with friends, putting the phone away. Like, yeah, I think just, again, it's just finding different outlets so then you can go back to what you're re- like, what you're doing. Because if you do, if you put all your effort into that, I just, I don't think what you're going to produce is what you're going to love. I think having that balance of just, and also just talking to people, like having that general feedback from friends and just, and also just, or even as an escape, like I'm a massive fantasy re- uh, reader. So just like, if I'm getting way too into it, I'll just read a few chapters and then go, oh, that was a fun world, and then go back into this world. I'm like, do you know what? This world isn't that, that bad. Okay, yeah, I think finding different creative outlets is really nice. Has that always been the case for you in the journey to this point, or have your priorities shifted in, with that balance? Like early on, was it just comedy, writing, producing, that's all you did? Are you much more aware about consciously taking a break, stepping away from it, and then coming back more refreshed? I think so. Yeah, I think also I think I need to find a routine. I think it's me again in the development of, I want to, yeah, I want to find that time. Because, yeah, the thing is when you you are the employee and boss, like, you just, uh, yeah, you go on your own time. But I think it's when, I think there's a tough situation where when you have all the time, you don't do anything. And so I think for me is that learning more and more of, uh, yeah, honing in those moments of like, I'm going to do marketing in this time and I'm going to do a bit of writing here. Uh, and yeah, just finding out different moments. And I think it's like a nice aspect of when people, yeah, like nine to five, just go, I maybe do all my work I can in these hours. Oh, not these hours. But yeah, during the day and time. And then, yeah, I then finding out the balance when you can, I think. Still very much honing on it. Do you take time to reflect, Reese? Take time to deliberately reflect on what's been an incredible journey to this point. The fact that you're out there on a weekly basis bringing happiness, joy, reprieve to people. It's something you've built from the ground up. Do you often look back on, say, when you're an 18 year old, a 19 year old, and say, wow, what, an ex- what a journey it's been to get to this point? I think so. I, I need to more. I think a lot, I think everyone should. I think it's that kind of taking balance of appreciating what, yeah, what we've had. I think it's also appreciating, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and being really grateful um, for yeah the efforts that you've put in. Um, but and the thing I've been thinking is not being, um, I think, comfortable 
is a nice one because if you're comfortable, then you'll like be relaxed on what you're doing and you won't be focusing on what you're producing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, and I've, again, I have a really supportive girlfriend, um, and friends and family, and I do believe they help me to just go, wow, this is really cool. I, one of my, yeah, a very close friend is just like, dude, like, what you created is awesome. And I just think I need to appreciate that more and more, um, yeah, in myself. Um, and again, yeah, it's like, as I've been telling, um, like, the venue and stuff is that, like, they're loving it, which is so good, and I just like, how good is that? Let's love it, appreciate it, and then just put make momentum for the next show. It's really nice because, like, some t in the past, a show has gone like really well, and I'm like, ah, and then I just don't do anything for four days, and I live off that high. I think it's appreciating that moment, having the best time, and then, and then, like, the next day, getting back to what I was doing, like a job. There's a job. Yeah. And do you believe in life, Reese, that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves in the sense that do you believe the path is laid out for us as people? Or that every single decision we make every single day shape where we end up? I think the decisions we make every day. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think the, yeah, I think being, having a little bit of confidence in yourself to, yeah, engage with others is a really big thing. I think sometimes, like the whole extrovert, introvert thing, each to their own, but uh, I'm, I've always, I think that has been kind of laid out for me. I've always been really extroverted and I do believe that I've, yeah, I've made connections because I think they're the day to day things I do believe absolutely can change the lifetime because I think, yeah, I've, um, I've been asked like, well, what can I not live without? And I think it'd be, yeah, friends and family, obviously friends, I know family always going to be the, the kind of paths that, but I think friends, these are day to day act, like decisions that we've made on like who I'm going to have surround me, who is going to support me, who's going to be there for the goods, the highs, like the, the lows. And I think that's those decisions that I've made to where I am right now. I've definitely made, like, I think my, I would not be the person I am without my friends. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but I know that for sure. Yeah. And would you change the journey at all? No. Uh, no, I would. They're like different parts without a doubt. I think more like decisions. I think a big thing uh, would be, I wish I could talk to my younger self and be like, dude, put down the bomb. I think that was a big one. I think smoking weed was a really, yeah. Each, like, I know so many comedians who smoke weed and that's fine. Um, but personally, I was doing it like it was my full-time job. I was, yeah, just waking, baking and it was just getting me nowhere. And I, I'm, and I would very lovely, uh, had, my younger sister just called me out. And because I remember I used the excuse of my creativity was through weed because everyone's like, you think better and all that. And I remember my, yeah, my younger sister just saying, being so beautiful, but like so critical, just going, if you were relying on a drug for your creativity, you're, you're an idiot. And I was like, yeah, like you never should rely on a drug for anything. And, and I remember, yeah, I think that's, I would definitely change. I, had obviously like with any kind of like had some fun absolutely but it really stunted uh yeah it took the confidence that i have to be on stage because this might be crazy but weed actually makes you really anxious um and so yeah i and then also a big thing memory loss was massively altered with weed and i yeah i would be on stage in front of and that was very fun because i i 
been I've hadn't smoked weed in like two and a half years, and I have lovely friends who smoke, which is fine. But I, I do like having an excuse to not smoke weed is hard. But having I tell people I'm like, all right, so imagine you're in front of like how many people trying to make them laugh. And they just get, oh man, wow. Like, especially when they're high, dude, then it's like, oh man, oh man, that'd be, that'd be crazy. So I think I wouldn't, I would change that. And, but then, but that's like also growing. Like, I don't know. I think it's, yeah. I think, I would, I think majority of people would say I wouldn't change the path because you can't really unchange it. So, but I think deep down, I don't know. Personally, for me, I, there are different avenues I would change in myself. Um, but, I just, it's more like I'm so happy the lessons I've learned from those failures. I just wish I learned them earlier. Would be a big one. Do you think, to, to counter that, Reese, do you think the fact that you did learn it relatively young yeah. has potentially set, paved the way for you for the next number of decades? Because you've had a, you've had a learning experience quite young. Some people might not uncover that for another 10, 15 years. And it can actually railroad it. So is there a way maybe where it's like you've actually been through some experiences that are going to make things a bit easier down the track? Yeah, absolutely. I, and also, I think I have a big thing with age. Because I'm only 27, but I think I've... Yeah, it's like, where do you see yourself? And I think also, like, surrounding yourself with younger people. And again, it's like people, yeah, in their 30s or 40s, whatever, like... And there's this doubt of, like, what have I done with this time? And, you, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think, again, it's uh, it's all relative, which is hard. It's a bit of a bullshit answer, but yeah, I don't know. That's why, and I'm glad you said that because it was to say that I had, yeah, two and a half years ago, like at 25, it clicked on and I am super grateful for that. Again, I was smoking for a really long time. So that's why I was like, ah, I wish I did it earlier. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like, no, it's done. But like, again, yeah, I'm happy with what I've learned. Yeah. You mentioned before our chat race that, one of the things you love about comedy is you create moments that will never happen again. Mm. The moment with you either emceeing or at a gig with the crowd, like that is a, a moment in time. What's what's one learning or one takeout that you would take from comedy that's that's really rung true? Is there is there a lesson? Is there a mantra? Is there a philosophy on life that you think you've learnt? Hmm. Um, I'm not too sure. I think... I think of what I've probably established a few times now is be the energy that you want. I would take that. For me and my comedic style and energy, and especially as an MC, um, and is that, yeah, and be the atmosphere, be the energy that you would love. And if, and I think that it's like so, yeah, like it's not likable, but it's, yeah, it's immersive and it can bring you in. And that's why, as I've said, as like as an MC, like you have moments that... And I the review that I got the other day was super lovely where he was just like, there's no put-down comedy. And like, and I, I personally, I've seen put-down comedy and I think it's hilarious, but it's just never been my style because I think just, not even like 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 ragging up, but just, I just want everyone to be on a level. I want to talk to you like we've been best friends for ages, even though I'm just meeting you right now. And... And sometimes when you have that environment and that, like, I don't know, the, the safety and the happiness of, like, creating that environment, sometimes people are just really open and can tell you stuff that you can then make fun of. Um, <laughs> like, I asked this question on stage where I'm like, 
has anyone ever been on a date and it was going well, there was a connection or attraction, but then they said or did one thing and it completely turned you off? And I've had so many funny stories because people just opened up. Like this chick went on a date with a guy and uh, five minutes in, it's going so bad. And he just goes, oh, do you want to see my parkour video? And she's like, ah, fine. And they watch the parkour video and it's terrible. And then, but he doesn't realize the next video, it goes on and it's him having sex with his ex-girlfriend. This is his first date, dude. And then, like, the joke I have, I'm like, oh, we're all in agreement, right? It was the parkour video, which was the worst. But, yeah, it was that, just that, those moments I would have, like, for that crowd, would never happen again. Like, it was, and then, yeah, I don't know, having that, that engagement, that's like, yeah, it's, like, likable, relatable, that people will find comfort in talking to you. Uh, if you're obviously engaged, if you just talk, you are heckling, uh, and I will destroy you. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, I've, again, just had such beautiful moments where you can pick them out as an MC. I was very lucky to do uh, a gig in Tokyo, and I had my favorite audience member was this old Japanese guy, Hisashi, who, who I didn't hear right, I called him Yoshi. Yes, yeah, so a racist. Um, so bad, dude. People later on were like, dude, his name's Hisashi. I was like, I am so dumb. Um, but he was the best, and like, his energy was insane, and I... I did a joke about drugs, and then I was like, because I, I, I realized my environment, I was like, wait, like, Hostashi, have you done drugs before? And he's like, no, and I am so sorry. <laughs> like, so, and we just went on for age, I was like, dude, you never have to be sorry. Your life's full of rainbows, you don't need drugs. But I, but for that crowd, like, that was a moment that was just for us, and and that's why I love, like, imp, like yeah, I love emceeing, because, and getting crowd work, and again, I've only been doing it a lot for like the last two years but it's one thing that I'm just so excited for the future of just keep going and keep engaging because it brings people in and then when the comedians come up everyone's already hyped everyone's already already like energized and what I've learned more and more is that when the audience is giving and they like, want value and the, the the comedians give you value it's a great night and it goes both ways yeah it's amazing and what's next for you race what is what is the next six months or so have in store for you yeah, that's a big question. I went to the beach. Probably go to the beach tomorrow. Um, again, my life is a weekend, dude. I've, I've got Monday. I've got work on Monday. But I think for, again, it's so, I haven't really thought of six months, but I've got, we've got four shows left uh, to the end of the year. And pretty much I just want to put all my energy into, yeah, uh, creating and getting more people involved uh, and experiencing the show. And, Again, and then just the next six months um, as a comedian, I want to, again, it's like surrounding yourself with people who are so great at their craft. And that's so nice because that just makes you want to do better. And I think that that whole thing of surrounding yourself with people who are like, I have like this amazing comedian uh, called um, Steph Broadbridge who just works so hard and she's like, I, I book a lot and she kills every time, but every time she performs, it's new material and it's good. And like for me, and there's a guy called Ben Caution who every time he performs, it's a new set. And you're like, dude, this guy's the best writer ever. And I think for me of like, they're the people that you surround yourself with. You're like, dude, I want to be better at my craft. So I think uh, I've written a second hour of stand-up and a lot of the material I haven't performed. So I think for me, it's like, I'm going to take that little leap of faith and start performing it like in the middle of acts and see how that goes. Uh, I think just, yeah, honestly, honing the skill of emceeing, because I think there's so many amazing stand-up comedians, 
but I don't think there's amazing MCs. Uh, there's a, a big, I think there's more of a market for MCs. And I think there's, uh, and also not just in comedy rooms, but MCing, uh, and also uh, like weddings and I was about to say funerals. So I'm fucking crushing at funerals. Um, <laughs> I'll bring the fire, dude. Grandma's, who cares she's dead? <laughs> fucking boil killed it. Uh, but... I think, yeah, and there's just different outlets of funny little hustles. Like, my mate, uh, we're doing a science grant where he wants a comedian to be able to talk to science students and make solar panels fun. I don't know. But I think for me, it's like, the uh, the skill of an MC, I think, is something I really want to... Yeah, in the next six months, and for a long time, I want to get better and better, because as much as I think stand-up is phenomenal, I think also the ability to create something from nothing is, yeah, just as amazing. And Reese, how do people find out more about standout comedy and uh, what time, what place, where do people check it out? Uh, so it is at the Chipper, Chipper Hotel in Chippendale. Uh, it's on every Monday. So I think, I don't know, I, I don't know who our listeners are in Penrith in the Blue Mountains, but bring it. Trip. We need it. <laughs> need it. Come on Mondays. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, every Monday at the Chippo um, and just look up, uh, look up uh, standout comedy. Uh, and on Instagram we're Standout Comedy Club and you'll see our beautiful little logo that this lovely uh, lady Opal designed and you'll see me emceeing and being a larrikin. Reese, thank you so much for such an entertaining and honest conversation. Oh, Wishing you all the best. Man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.